Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Pirie and Elizabeth Zhovkova. In this episode, we meet Talimka Yurdanova, the CEO of the Global Citizen Forum, who speaks with us about the concept of interconnectedness, the consequences of interrupted traveling access, and the radical idea of global governance. Talimka shares with us how she envisions the notion of progress by changing the way dialogues are taking place and by building on the conversation through action, subtly pushing the social criterion towards an evolution of the global mind. Hi Talimka and thank you for joining this conversation today. Let's begin with the current global situation. The tides are shifting around the world. We have not only global pandemic but also deep-rooted inequalities and poverty merely intensify. In what dimension do you find yourself in and how do you respond to the COVID-19 crisis? Hello, Elizabeth, and uh, thank you very much for Zeitgeist 19 for having me here today and uh, having this very interesting discussion. Um, just to put some context to the conversation, I'm uh, running an organization called the Global Citizen Forum, and what we do is we aim to bridge dialogue with action on issues related to global citizenship. Um, the situation with COVID-19, of course, uh, affected us as an organization and, and the narrative we're working around in many, many, many ways. Uh, on one end, um, the GCF is a dialogue-based uh, organization, so we usually would convene and we would gather, you know, groups of people in closed spaces with uh, little distancing. So we basically tick all the COVID-19 precaution boxes, you know. Uh, obviously, we haven't been able to do that for the past six months, and we've had to transition towards a fully digital um, agenda, which has been challenging and it's, uh, it's, it has its complications. But the more interesting thing is actually the way COVID-19 is affecting the global citizenship narrative as such. And um, we are witnessing and we're following very closely and we're witnessing and noticing a lot of um you know, novelties and trends that are appearing in the way people are reacting to to global events and the way people are understanding, um, I'm going to use like a very abstract term, but I'll uh, clarify, the whole uh, con- concept of global consciousness. So I think um, obviously the COVID-19 is a very... Um, you know, tragic and extremely complicated uh, situation and uh, by no means I want to um, make it less important. However, there are some positive outcomes from that and uh, one of the main ones is exactly that, um, I would say, maturing global consciousness that is starting to emerge uh, around the world. And uh, what I mean by that is that... um, I don't think, at least not in my lifetime, uh, humanity has ever shared um, completely common threat at the, the exact same time. Um, it's it's quite interesting to actually observe the fact that we all share uh, at the moment the exact same fear, the exact same precautionary measures, the exact same way of communicating the crisis and its impact. And um, 
and uh, uh, the exact same sort of uh, shift in our lifestyle, right? So um, we are all afraid of catching the virus. We are all following uh, the measures, which are very, very simple, which makes them so convergent, you know. Um, everybody has to wear a mask. Everybody has to wash their hands. Everybody has to keep a social distance and so on and so forth. And when it comes to stats, like I'm sure where, whichever part of the world you're in, whenever you put the news on, the first thing that comes out is the same. How many people have uh, caught the virus? Well, how many people are in intensive care? How many people have been cured? Uh, what is the number of tests that has been done and what is the ratio? And this goes from, let's say, developed world all the way to not so developed parts of the world. Let's say you have the exact same thing happening, for example, in the UK and the exact same thing happening, let's say, in Ghana, you know. And this is very interesting because um, um, it, it creates um, this concept of um, interconnectedness, which we rely on and which we build on a lot in, in everything we do and everything we talk about. And up until now, this concept of interconnectedness has been, a, a, you know, a rather invisible one. And I think now it's glaringly visible. It's just, it's just there and we all feel it and we all know it. And even, you know, the way mobility has been affected is, is, a, is a byproduct of this interconnectedness that we are all a subject of. So many, 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 many different processes and, uh, and uh, emerging sort of trends are coming up as a result of the COVID-19 crisis. And we're trying to stay on top of them and, and understand them as much as we can. And of course, push the conversation in that direction so we can, um, we can make the most out of this as a global community. Thank you, Tali, for this nuanced answer. Maturing global consciousness is definitely an interesting concept to study further. Speaking of which, uh, since governments cannot, on their own, overcome the challenges and we rely on social dialogue to find solutions and free independent organizations such as Global Citizen Forum are prerequisites for uh, for effective new discourses. What is your foresight for forming them in this uh, difficult times through distance? Um, look, what we're witnessing today in the space of governmental and non-governmental dialogue, um, it's, um, again, unprecedented like everything else i mean we're having this conversation at the moment um in the wake of the 75th uh, un general assembly week which is coming up next week and it's the first time since i'm uh, you know actively participating in the non-governmental space it's the first time that this uh, convening is going to happen completely online um you know the UN General Assembly gathers the heads of states of all of the United Nations countries for one week in New York for them to convene and to discuss global issues and so on in person. And then on the side of the UN General Assembly week, there is an avalanche of events of governmental, non-governmental sector, corporate sector, and so on. All of them discussing, for example, the sustainable development goals, how can we achieve them, what is the progress, and so on and so forth. And this year, for the first time, this is this is happening online. And uh, of course, it puts a, a tremendous, um, how should I say, a tremendous pressure on, on organizations and a pressure on the dialogue itself, because 
traditionally we would be having this dialogue in person and traditionally we would we wouldn't be just talking about things we would be connecting and we would be finding ways to build on the conversation through action um would it be different partnerships would it be different initiatives would it be just raising awareness and so on but there dialogue would traditionally lead towards some sort of action especially when it is at such high level so this is just an example of uh, of where we stand today and i'm sure you're following there is i mean the world economic forum is going to be online for the first time we're seeing things that are um are very uh very different and they're really changing the way uh the way dialogue is uh is taking place today so um you know uh, i mean i'm uh, we're all keeping an open mind and hoping for for this to be a temporary um temporary solution to the problem and we're really hoping to be able to convene in person again in the near future and this new digital dimension you have just mentioned your global citizen forum belief and statement that global challenges are not defined by borders and nationalities and uh, that we have to address and overcome them together could not be more timely. Are we really together or have never been this much apart? What do you think? Uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, I think, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there are a few, um, a few changes or sort of shifts taking place at the same time. And I think uh, some of them are pulling in, in the direction of us being more connected, but some of them are pushing in the direction of us being more disconnected. Um, when I say disconnected, I mean more local. Uh, and that's simply as a consequence of the fact that we are not mobile right now. We are, uh, we have never been less mobile uh, ever before you know we went from a world of complete you know complete sort of globalization i mean not complete of course with parts of the world not being part of that unfortunately but um let's say let's say i'm going to give you an example the the u.s citizen before uh, covid19 was able to travel to almost every country in the world visa-free and had open and uninterrupted access to that right now a u.s citizen is not allowed to leave their country at all and that's um that's quite interesting in terms of the way first of all in terms of how long this is going to to last for and what consequences it is going to bring in terms of how we how we find ourselves in this new very local sort of reality because don't forget you're not allowed to leave the country but you're also not allowed to leave the city where you where you live so this um this makes um Mobility a very, very, suddenly mobility is a very exotic term. Uh, but at the same time, at the same time, um, we, yes, we are becoming more local or we are currently more local. Are we becoming? I'm not sure. It really depends how long this is going to last. But um, at the same time, because of what I said in my, uh, my, what I briefly mentioned in my first response, because of this common sort of fear, common threat, and this share, these shared measures that we have, I think um, humanity as a whole is becoming more familiar with each other and more connected than before and more understanding of each other than before because of that shared understanding of, 
of the of the of the threat we're facing, the measures we're taking, the people we're losing. Um, this shared, for example. Um, uh, attention for elderly people and so on and so forth. So certainly there is this new set of sort of, first of all, rules, values and, uh, and measures that, that makes us very homogeneous in the way we lead our lives. Um, and the way we, uh, the way, sorry, the way our lives are changing. Um, so of course that makes us more connected. And when I, when I, when I talk about this, um, sort of maturing global consciousness. Um, I think we are already witnessing and we already witnessed uh, a very tangible example of, of, the, of the way this is uh, progressing in people's minds. And uh, for, me, for me, the first and most sort of loudest um, example of that was the Black Lives Matter uh, movement that uh, we witnessed a couple of months ago. When you think about it, the chain of events was, was such that we were already at home for around three months and we were already going through that process of maturing as a global community. I mean, as a interconnected community and, and consciously sort of um, embracing that as a as a as a humanity, and then the uh, tragic event with George Floyd happened, and I'm sure you've seen that, and I'm sure you followed it closely. The world exploded, and uh, it's I even I even get uh, shivers when I talk about it. It's it's uh, absolutely mind blowing the way the whole planet reverberated with that the whole planet. And, um, and for me, the most um, powerful example was countries with hardly any um, black people communities in their, in their um, population. People were out protesting regardless, you know, they were not directly affected by this program. For example, people in Japan, people in South Korea, people in Shanghai, they barely have, you know, black people communities as, as a, you know, as a significant percentage of, of their population. Even though they were outside with the, with the massive signs, Black Lives Matter protesting and standing for, you know, for humanity, for justice, for human rights, for, for, for freedom, for, um, uh, yeah, for for rights in uh, in essence. So I I personally think that uh, this sort of um, you know coordinated let's say response was uh, was as a result of the I mean the COVID nineteen sort of circumstances accelerated this process. I always believe, of course, I'm uh, you know I'm leading an organization that believes in global citizenship, and this is uh, this is what we breathe. So I always believe that the global community is going to get to this point and this sort of evolution um, at some point. But uh, I think the COVID-19 uh, uh, situation really accelerated that process and the Black Lives Matter uh, global response was the first of many examples to come uh, for that. So in that sense, we are becoming more connected and more um, familiar with each other, which is, which is amazing. Following your thoughts on traveling and mobility, I would like to talk about the notion of open borders. What are the urgent reforms we have to implement in immigration policies, according to you? I wish I knew, to be very honest with you. I mean, immigration is such a complicated topic. It has so many dimensions to it. And, 
again, as much as we at the Global Citizen Forum truly believe in an open world and a borderless world, um, we are also not blind about the complications and uh, the um, sort of restrictions this brings about at the, you know, when you look at the world today in, uh, in the current circumstances. So, yes, you know, the world needs to be open and everyone needs to have access to migration, let's say, as a universal human right, but I don't think the world is ready for that today. Um, immigration has um, a, a lot of benefits and it brings a lot of, um, a lot of economic, financial, cultural benefits to receiving communities and, and even to sending communities as well. But at the same time, it does create a lot of uh, um, tension internally, pressure on, on, uh, on governments, on institutions, again, cultural clashes and so on and so forth. So perhaps, you know, if uh, this process of uh, maturing global community goes on with this pace, maybe sooner rather than later, the world will, will be ready to be entirely open and to have uh, open borders for all. Um, but at the same time, um, today I don't think I don't think neither governments nor um, global institutions are providing the necessary preconditions for this to to happen. However, um, when it comes to migration, I would like to take a you know a, a small step back from immigration and go to a larger scale um, the context of migration. I think there is something extremely important that is happening today that needs to be addressed and there are ways to be addressed. And um, for us, the biggest failure of uh, global citizenship actually, and the biggest failure of migration is the refugee crisis. Um, the GCF does a lot of work around, around that. And I would say maybe as a, like as a social cause, this is probably the thing that we are mostly active on. Um, just to give you, you know, a taste of, of the numbers, there is around uh, 79 and a half million people out there that are forcibly displaced and have been forced to flee, flee their homes. This is 1% of the global population. And uh, where these stats get really complicated and difficult to, to, to swallow is half of this population is children. Half of this population is below 18. And another number just to, to, to put in context is once people enter a refugee camp, they would on average spend around 25 years in a refugee camp, which means that you have an entire generation of, let's say, around 40 million under 18 children that are growing up entirely in refugee camps and probably leading their lives, you know, as, as adults and so on in, uh, in those conditions. And what is the most frustrating part with this problem is that there isn't really a solution. Um, you can only solve the refugee crisis if you, so, if you solve the causes that are creating it. Um, us as a, you know, as a nonprofit as a, and all of the stakeholders involved in the, in, in the space of the refugee um, sort of crisis and trying to, to support it in any way. And the only thing we can do is to really support, you know, we can't solve it. We can only try to make sure that, you know, less people are going to lose their lives while, while they're doing the passing or less, uh, you know, children will have access to some education while they're spending these 25 years in the refugee camps or, you know, there will be like in the current circumstances, there will be soap and toilets in the refugee camps. That Those are the kind of things we can do. And um, 
And that's when it gets really frustrating because you can't really work towards solving it. But this is where the whole um, uh, problem with governance really comes in. And governance is a very important part uh, for us as a topic as uh, the GCF, because um, I'm sure you know, but we work with a lot of governments and we host a lot of heads of states from all parts of the world. And we always uh, push the narrative in that direction. We truly believe in global governance. And the only way to solve the refugee crisis is through global governance. It's global institutions, it's collaboration, it's partnership, and so on. And that comes, that goes not only for the refugee crisis, that goes for a lot of crises that are coming our way. One of them, uh, as an example, that I'm sure everyone is um, uh, familiar with and already having, you know, their own personal level of anxiety and panic around that is the climate change. I mean, the more, the more the world is evolving, the more the world is becoming interconnected, the more globalized we become as a nation and as a community, the more we need global institutions. We are already global, but we don't have the, the, govern, the necessary governance and the necessary infrastructure for us to be able to solve problems in a coordinated, um, uh, coordinated way. So yeah, we have, you know, we have the United Nations, we have the World Bank, we have the International Monetary Fund and so on. But these institutions, they need to have more um, teeth, you know, they need to be able to implement rather than recommend, they need to be able to impose and, um, uh, and um, affect uh, certain, uh, certain uh, processes directly. Um, so um, yeah, I think the only thing that can can really make um, significant change in the way the refugee crisis is uh, progressing going forward is uh, the implementation of a more more um, independent global governance infrastructure. Um, the concept of global governance is quite relevant in our times. And paradoxically, it sounds like an utopia too. So I wonder, what about your native Bulgaria? Is involve evolve in power your formula for foiling the mission forward? Um, I, you know, just like every country out there in the world, Bulgaria is part of the world and is uh, part of the global community. I think, um, I think the Bulgarian people are. Um, more and more embracing themselves as part of a, a global context rather than part of a, you know, part of a small country, um, which I'm sure you are aware, the older generations, uh, this is how they perceive themselves rather than the, you know, the newer generation, I think they're becoming more globalized in the way they, uh, they, they perceive themselves as individuals. Um, Frankly speaking, um, we're witnessing uh, right now almost uh, two and a half months of people protesting outside on the streets against the government in Bulgaria. And I think uh, this is global citizenship at its best. You know, every single person that's out there on the streets protesting needs to, you know, needs to get an award for being an amazing global citizen and for being a responsible citizen of, of its country. Because yes, you know, the problem is local right now, but uh, it's not, it is and it isn't at the same time. Because if, uh, if Bulgarian people are living in a country which is not giving them the, the necessary conditions for them to be, 
you know, citizens of the world, they will not be able to do that. Um, so I think again, going back, and I'm sorry, I keep repeating myself, but for me, that's such a, uh, it's a trending topic in my mind, let's say, this, uh, this whole thing with the global consciousness. I think um, I think Bulgaria has been uh, significantly affected by that. Um, you know, our history is such that we have have been sort of an open country for only like 20 years now, and uh, you can already see, um, you know, as a result of people having the freedom to to travel and being part of a larger sort of union in in the face of the European Union, uh, you can see how 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 you know, Bulgarians are really becoming global and how they're becoming extremely conscious of, of themselves as citizens of their country and as citizens of this world. And, um, and I think it's great. I mean, I go and protest every day. I have the Bulgarian flag uh, waving outside of my window. I put, you know, uh, resignation outside of my door and all that because it's uh, it's fantastic you know it's fantastic that people are out there doing it in an extremely peaceful way you know Bulgarian history has seen enough protests this is not the first time the people are out on the streets but this is the first time people are out on the streets as global citizens you know they're out on the streets protesting with their minds not with the not with physical force not with um, not with aggression but with conviction with conviction that they deserve better and it's their right to have it and they don't want to they don't want to break or beat or or anything like that they just want to receive the government they deserve and uh, i think uh, evolve definitely empower definitely and involve it's inevitable so yeah listening to you is very inspiring and you sound truly passionate about your activity about gcf um and you truly believe in what you're doing. Uh, so I have a series of questions about GCF and where it's headed. What are the next steps and aspirations of leading the Global Citizen Forum in a post-pandemic world? What would be the next location and the next big debate? And who are the leaders that um, you have worked with that have inspired you and who perhaps you would like to work with in future? I'll start with your first question. What is what is coming up for the forum? Um, unfortunately, we don't know. <laughs> the thing is, we we really don't know how how the COVID nineteen crisis is going to continue in the coming months. We're hoping to be able to to start having physical events, uh, hopefully in the second half of twenty twenty one. And we are slowly um, moving towards uh, planning and organizing those, um, you know, with a peace of mind because you you we really don't know what what is uh, what is uh, coming up around the corner. Uh, but um, we have recently sort of strengthened our agenda around Africa and the region, and um, uh, have uh, are currently in the process of onboarding a lot of. Um, ambassadors from that part of the world and also extending um, our board of advisors with um, you know uh, figures from 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 the region and um, I hope I hope uh, we'll be able to have our next summit uh, somewhere in uh, in Africa 
And I'll be very excited if we manage to actually turn it around because it will be the first time for us to, to convene in, uh, in, in the region. And I personally am uh, extremely connected with, with Africa and everything that is happening there. And, uh, and I think it's, probably the most exciting part of the world right now so we would be we would be very thrilled to be able to invite the entire community of uh, global citizens that uh, we have been able to build around the forum to invite it to 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 the region and to celebrate the progress it has made to celebrate the heroes it has been able to produce so to speak and uh, to discuss on you know future opportunities and challenges um, in uh, in the region uh, I am so incredibly lucky to be working and building the forum from from the very start and to be to have the opportunity to watch it uh, as it grows. Um, I would say for me, probably the most um, inspiring person I have met in my work with the forum was uh, the late Kofi Annan, who was our keynote speaker in um, in the forum we hosted in Monaco a couple of years ago. Uh, more than a couple now. Um, this was uh, like just in the context of the forum's uh, sort of development. This was the first event we were actually able to do at such scale and at such um, level. So for us, of course, as as you know, as the driving force behind it, it was extremely exciting and it was uh, it was uh, extremely rewarding, uh, having in mind the incredible amount of work we had put behind it. Um, so during that that forum, we had uh, for the first time we were able to gather so many uh, extremely interesting and influential people in one place. And Kofi Annan was the main uh, the main one. Um, but also we had, for example, uh, we had Irina Bokova, who's an absolutely uh, uh, incredible person. We had uh, Jose Manuel Barroso, the former president of the European Commission, who delivered an amazing uh, keynote around exactly uh, collaboration and partnership for global um, for for global solutions. Um, so um, um, it was it was really uh, an emotional time for us and for me, uh, especially as a person. Um, on the other hand, you know, the forum is interesting because we have this very, um, you know, uh, serious and heavy sort of uh, personalities and topics, but we also try to keep a very cultural element to the entire uh, narrative. Uh, actually, culture is one of the five pillars that we built our our agenda around. So. Thanks to that, you know, we are able to engage with um, actors, performers, singers, artists, and, and so on. And, uh, uh, and that's where it gets really interesting because those are the creatives, you know. So um, in the last summit that we hosted, uh, it was in uh, Sveti Stefan in Montenegro, uh, we had the incredible honor to host, uh, you know, the legendary Robert De Niro. And uh, that was obviously, you know, it's uh, one one is stunned by being in the same room uh, with that person. So, of course, it's going to stay as an amazing moment in my life. But to be very honest with you, he's not very friendly. So <laughs> I wouldn't say <laughs> I wouldn't say it was, a, you know, a deep, uh, a deep connection or anything like that. However, we we had um, I would say probably one of the most interesting people we've had as a speaker in um 
in our events was uh, an Italian photographer. His name is Oliviero Toscani. And uh, he has done the, um, I'm sure you remember, there is a series of extremely controversial um, advertising campaigns that Benetton did probably 10 years ago with, uh, uh, with let's say, an Arab and a Jewish hugging each other, uh, the shape of a human heart with different colors. And all of his, uh, all of his campaigns were always um, directed in, in the exact same direction that we are you know, going for, which is like we are all equal and we're all human. And uh, the, the divisions are only in our minds. They're not uh, biologically ingrained with us. And so he's an artist, but he's a philosopher as well. And uh, he joined an incredible panel. I'll never forget that because it was, um, we laughed a lot. An incredible panel of um, um, it was him, another another incredible individual, Hamish Hamilton. He's the director of the Oscars, um, uh, the British. Uh, uh, what was it called? BAFTA. Uh, he does Victoria's Secret show. He's done the Obama inauguration. You know, an, an incredible, incredible person. Uh, also extremely philosophical and extremely creative in the way he thinks. And also the panel had Eve, you know, the hip hop performer and uh, one more person I can't remember. So that was an incredible discussion because you had three artists coming from different fields, but sharing the same ideas, but not entirely. So they were able to, the, the time slot we gave them was 45 minutes. We went on for an hour and a half. We, we couldn't stop them. You know, the whole crowd was extremely engaged. We opened the floor for questions and, questions and answers. And uh, it was, for me, I think probably the most successful panel we've done so far was, uh, was, uh, was this one. Yeah. Um, who am I hoping to, to host? That was the last question, right? Uh, my list is so long. <laughs> um, look, uh, I mean, again, if I can, uh, if I can uh, separate people in terms of you know their background and the sort of pillars they they represent. For for me, uh, for example, in terms of um, in terms of um, sorry, in terms of corporate governance and governance and culture right so in terms of corporate governance i'm always extremely inspired by by women leaders and uh, and uh, um, uh, women sort of uh, trailblazers so i'm always uh, uh, curious to host you know for example cheryl sandberg or um or uh, someone of that sort in terms of um uh global shape i mean they're all women i'm just that's why i'm doing these pauses because i'm realizing i'm only looking forward to hosting women and women leaders so we've been trying to have a mal clooney for a couple of years now i think she's absolutely incredible and the work she does is amazing and i think what she has done for 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 women out there and not only of course you know she's a human rights lawyer so the you know the product of her work is already incredible so um for me i would be very very humbled if i'm able to have her on the gcf stage and share share her thoughts but, but um sorry uh, another person again it's a lady that is 
probably number one on my list is the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern. Yeah. She's my personal hero. Uh, I think she's amazing in the way she's handling her extremely difficult job and the message she's sending to, to the world. So um, we were, uh, luckily we are in touch with her office and hopefully in the next event we have, uh, at the end of 2021, we'll be able to have her as a keynote, fingers crossed. Talimka, my last question for you is, can one be truly a global citizen? Of course, many, many of us are, you know, um, truly, I mean, I, you know, that's the thing with, with global citizenship and the way, the way you define being a global citizen. I mean, the way we define it at the Global Citizen Forum is a person that um, understands their rights and responsibilities in the right way and understands their role in the context of the global village we are uh, we are a part of you know person that acts according to this concept of interconnectedness uh, but also um, uh, shares a deep deep sense of responsibility for the world and its future and the challenges that uh, that we're faced with because uh, there there are a lot of them so um i think a great portion of the population is already a truly global citizen uh, Unfortunately, we live in times where some of the main and most powerful governments around the world are taking, uh, you know, a very strong position against uh, being a global citizen. And that puts the whole agenda on hold a little bit. But, um, but I think it's inevitable, you know, it's inevitable. It's, uh, we're all global citizens and uh, sooner or later, we're all going to wake up to, to that belief and will embrace it and we're 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 going to live according to that and uh, and the systems that are operating the way we live are going to adapt to that because uh there is really no way around it so a lot of us are truly global citizens and all of us will be eventually i truly believe that thank you talinko for this insightful and inspiring conversation Thank you very much, ladies, for having me. It was a great pleasure. And once again, congratulations on the amazing work you're doing with Zeitgeist 19. And uh, um, I'm, I'm very happy to have uh, contributed to your amazing platform. <laughs>